Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of India Rising Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohan and Kishore, a show in which we analyze the happenings from around the world and their impact on India. Before we begin, we have a programming note to share. We have been receiving multiple requests from our listeners to make our episodes available on podcasts. We have heard you and we are now present there as well. Starting our previous episode, uh, you can now listen to all new episodes in SoundCloud or in any other podcast application. That's not all. You can also listen to all our, all our earlier episodes also in those platforms. Remember that we will continue to be present in YouTube as well. Okay, so uh, let's start with episode 14. Uh, but just a recap of uh, our episode 13, where we had uh, uh, described the details of the Pulwama attack, of how uh, Jaish e Mohammed had carried out a VB IED attack, a vehicle borne uh, uh, IED attack, uh, killing 40 CRP of Jawans. And we had also uh, uh, explained the uh, various possibilities in terms of Indian response. Uh, and uh, we had explained military, diplomatic, economic, and uh, many such uh, measures that India could take. So uh, it was quite clear that India went in for a full spe spectrum of uh, response, but we'll begin with the most important one of them, the military response. So uh, on the 26th of February, uh, the DGISPR, which is the Director General of Intelligence Services, uh, public relations of the Pakistani military, uh, he tweeted disclosing uh, to the whole world that uh, the Indian uh, Indian fighter jets had uh, violated the Pakistani airspace and uh, the Pakistanis had uh, responded by, uh, by uh, pushing the Indian jets back. And uh, that was when the whole world got to know. And uh, a few hours later, the, uh, the NEA, the Indian Ministry of External Affairs, uh, also announced that uh, uh, India had actually conducted uh, aerial strikes on uh, not just uh, one but uh, three uh, different locations, not only in Pakistan-occupied Kashmir, but also in a place called uh, Balakot in uh, Khyber Pakhtunkhwa province in uh, northern part of Pakistan. Uh, and uh, uh, the military, uh, the spokesperson clearly mentioned that uh, this was a non-military preemptive strike, which was uh, the first time that many uh, analysts were was, uh, hearing this kind of a term. So basically what uh, India meant was that it was a preemptive strike, indicating that India had clear uh, intelligence information telling that uh, the Jaisa Mohammed group was planning to carry out further attacks and um, that uh, they were in that terror camp at that particular moment and uh, india chose to uh, chose to destroy the camp and uh, it was non military in the sense that india did neither target uh, um, counter force uh, targets or counter value targets in other words in simple words india did not target either the pakistani military or pakistani civilian establishments and it was plainly targeted at the Jaisa Mohammed uh, terror camp. Having said that, uh, India uh, said that uh, this was the end of uh, Indian response and uh, India would uh, continue uh, to claim its right for self-defense uh, whenever there is a need. Now, this was what happened on day one, and this was met with a lot of uh, celebration and uh, euphoria across India on, uh, on February 26th. Uh, but Pakistan did not take lightly to this. Uh, it was uh, it was some kind of an embarrassment for the uh, Pakistani establishment, including the military. And uh, uh, the very fact that uh, Indian jets had not only crossed the LOC, 
but also crossed over into Pakistan proper uh, and had uh, returned back without any uh, much of a stiff uh, response or a stiff opposition from the Pakistani uh, Air Force actually uh, uh, had a telling blow to uh, the Pakistani establishment and uh, they uh, they indicated that uh, they would respond back kindly uh, in the near future and uh, before we get into pakistani response uh, we'll have to delve deeper into the uh, the indian strikes so uh, mohan uh, enough of uh, me talking uh, if you can if you can begin with uh, the entire uh, uh, strike on uh, the terror camp in balakot and uh, bring uh, listeners up to speed with the uh, the different aspect of it yeah so early on uh, 26th morning uh, like the 12 mirage 2000s which is one of india's uh, air to ground uh, premier defense uh, attack aircraft they took off from the gwalior air force station um, and they were joined by one uh, refueler like a mid air refueler like an il78 and a uh, netra and indigenous uh, airborne early warning and a control system are called as a avax and there was one more an israeli heron uh, uav for real time surveillance so after probably getting refueled uh, they headed over the border uh, entering somewhere in like uh, from the line of control and they headed towards uh, the Balakot uh, target and they bombed it with uh, Spice 2000 uh, guided uh, bombs. So now what and also they were joined. One more point is that they were joined by Sukhoi 30s for defense and also uh, MiG 29s were reported to have been uh, assigned to provide escort in case there was some retaliation against this Mirage 2000s which would be heavily loaded down by bombs. So the air-to-air -air aspect would be handled by the Sukhoi 30 which is India's premier air-to-air -air combat fighter and uh, Mirage 29s. So coming to the strike after they crossed over the line of control once inside uh, Pakistani held territory they released uh, standoff weapons with uh, a Spice 2000 uh, guided kit uh, bomb. So what this does is uh, Spice stands for Smart, Precise, Impact and Cost-Effective Guidance Kit. It is uh, made by uh, Israel. And what it does is basically it takes a dumb bomb, which has basically no guidance, and you put the kit on top of it and it converts into a uh, surface smart guided air to surface munition now friends this is not like a missile where you can just launch it from anywhere it would it would be you would still have to be in the right envelope to launch it it's kind of a uh, in layman's term like a glider kind of thing like once you launch it it will automatically guide itself uh, through <clears throat> uh, gps to its final target and it's also uh, supposed to be pre uh, uh, have anti uh, gps jamming uh, features so once the gps coordinates if fed correctly it will strike the target with precision it's sort of like a fire and forget weapon but it has basically no uh, propulsion on 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 it so this was the story on the uh, air attacks airstrikes and then after the airstrikes uh, uh, Pakistan supposedly did scramble some uh, fighters like namely the F-16s to intercept it but by the time uh, the fighters were back into Indian airspace safely and they returned back without a scratch after delivering the payload at Balakot. Sure? And yeah and the funny part was how uh, uh, the DGISPR tweet mentioned that uh, uh, we forced the Indian jets to return back, and in in haste, uh, in a in a hurry to return back, the Indian jets had uh, dropped the payload. That was a funny way of telling that we had <laughs> bombed them. So that was actually funny. Uh, and uh, before before the Indian side had actually confirmed that they had conducted these strikes, uh, everybody, every analyst was kind of uh, deciphering. Uh, how oh, how how uh, bombing 
was being mentioned in such a sweet way of uh, dropping a payload. So that was a funny part uh, associated with it. Yeah, I so, mean, sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I mean, this is just shows that this was the uh, one of the several examples of uh, the enemy's propaganda over mm -hmm. the past one week that everybody has been now well subjected to. Correct. So technically, uh, uh, it was very clear that uh, uh, Pakistan was on the back foot in this particular scenario and that mm -hmm. they wanted to claim the moral high ground and also uh, and also show to the world that they were not uh, uh, caught on the back foot. So they were trying to make the most out of the, out of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, we can we can quickly switch over to the Pakistani response then, uh, Mohan. Yeah, so uh, the next morning around 10 a.m. was when the Pakistani response uh, to the events happened. It was quite a, it was a big, quick and uh, uh, it was a pretty, uh, what do you wonder what I'm looking for is, uh, they did respond pretty quickly than what many had expected. So mm -hmm. as per reports, like there were around 24 Pakistani Air Force jets, a mix of the American F-16, the really, I would really old, the Mirage 3s and the JF-17s, which got airborne from a series of air bases in Pakistan and Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. Now, they did do some maneuvers. I mean, uh, they remained in the over for more than half an hour in an act of deception. The Indian air, uh, airborne early warning assets had picked up the movement uh, with the bases in like Srinagar and uh, Punjab alerted. Now the Pakistani fighter package did turn uh, away from the line of control, but there were a small bunch of fighters, like probably three, which just turned west towards India. Sorry, uh, turned uh, east towards India. Now, uh, they so the once the uh, the bulk of the fighters did turn back into pakistani territory some of them continued to come into india now at that precise moment when india realized that these were breaching indian uh, airspace uh, we did have a large bunch of fighters up in the air now i have received questions from even some of my uh, acquaintances like okay why didn't we use this su30 mki it is the premier air to air combat fighter but the reality is that you deploy whatever assets are there in that area. So there were some Sukhoi MKI jets to let everybody know, but they were on doing a in a combat a CAP or as we call combat air patrols further away from the area. And then they were diverted to provide cover for the intercept. But the closest fighters were the two mixed 21s from Srinagar, which headed straight for the intercept. Now, uh, the Pakistanis, uh, Kishore, correct me if I'm wrong, were able to drop some uh, bombs on, uh, I guess, nothing. I mean, they were like no significant military targets. As per the reports, they were heading to bomb some military installations, which would be a big, pretty escalation in terms mm -hmm. of uh, a war type situation. So uh, 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 they were intercepted by the MiG 21s. Uh, a fight did occur, like a dog fight did occur, which is basically two planes fighting each other. Uh, interestingly, in this today's day and age, we all talk about the beyond visual range fighting. But interestingly, the dog fight did happen within visual range as VWR as it referred to. And uh, uh, like the one of the MiG-21s did manage to uh, knock, uh, knock down a F-16. Now, the F-16 wreckage didn't fall in Indian territory, but there is strong circumstantial evidence to show that we did knock down one of their planes. However, uh, uh, Wing Commander uh, Abhinandan, who I'm guessing everybody in India knows by now, uh, I mean, it could be the fog of war situation or whatever, like uh, uh, error. Maybe he crossed over into the line of control and uh, he was knocked down either by a pakistani air defense system or by a pakistani fighter jet we don't know so he ended up landing behind uh, enemy lines um, and was captured by the uh, locals on the, the local forces on the ground so one last thing i mean there's been a lot of debate whether we did should done an f-16 or there's a lot of 
strong circumstantial evidence but only time will tell if it's uh uh proven now the reason i say this is is like significant is because when us uh, sold pakistan uh, f16s the agreement was they could they would be used for counter terrorism and not for aggressive uh, action against another state or nation so uh, as per reports us has started to make inquiries because the reports from india has said that we did they did use f16 and uh, i guess uh, kishor you will go into some of the details later on uh, uh, so i'll leave it there for now and i guess you can uh, uh, mention to the viewers uh what happened with uh, wing commander abhinandan once he was shot down and uh, how he was released back to india yeah uh, before we go there uh, just another point uh, to emphasize on the fog of war uh, scenario uh, at the same time that uh, the dot fight was happening and uh, pakistani jets had violated the indian airspace uh, coincidentally uh, mi17 uh, chopper uh, had uh, crash landed in badgam which is <laughs> Uh, which was much closer to Srinagar, and mm -hmm. uh, pe uh, initially people thought that uh, this was also related to the intrusion by the Pakistani jets. And uh, in all the confusion, even the Pakistanis thought that uh, they were responsible for the crash landing of the of the chopper, and uh, they also claimed responsibility for it. But uh, that was when everybody started analyzing and trying to understand. Uh, the uh, if at all pakistan had violated indian airspace at multiple points simply because the initial uh, violation happened in the rajouri sector close to sundarbani and uh, badgam is far away from uh, rajouri uh, any which way you you see so it was much later in the day that even pakistan clarified that they had nothing to do with the chopper crash and just that uh, it happened coincidentally on the same day but in this kind of a fog of war scenario where nothing is clear at that moment uh, such uh, such news keeps uh, circulating and it uh, does not help uh, uh, anyone bit uh, having having said that coming to uh, wing commander abhinandan's uh, uh, drop in uh, pakistan occupied kashmir uh, there was one article in uh, pakistani newspaper dawn which is kind of equivalent to uh, new york uh, the pakistani new york times uh, it was mentioned that uh, wing commander abhinandan uh, after ejecting and uh, landing in the pok he kind of inquired with the local if he was in india realized that he was not and uh, by that time uh, the people there uh, realized that he was an indian pilot an enemy pilot and they started uh, chasing him uh, abhinandan had no other option but to uh, take out her pistol and uh, try to defend himself and he ran backwards for about 200 meters that's what the donut don article tells and found a pond nearby and uh, tried to uh, not only chew the indian map that he had uh, the uh, map of the uh, location that he had but also tried to uh, uh, to dampen one part of the map in the pond uh, in the waters there Uh, however the mob uh, grew stronger and stronger bigger and bigger and uh, he was quickly overpowered and in the confusion and in the anger uh, uh, in the frenzy the mob attacked him and uh, those visuals came out and this kind of enraged the indian government but uh, due to some quick thinking by the pakistani uh, military who were also present in that area they quickly captured him and uh, ensured that no more harm is done to him and they took him to the uh, barracks to the close by barracks there and that was when they started uh, recording uh, questions uh, uh, recording uh, the answers that were given by him uh, one first time when he was blindfolded uh, where he was able to identify himself by name and uh, the service number and that was generally enough to uh, identify yourself as a soldier from the uh, from the uh, opposite uh, armed forces now having said that this is sufficient uh, to actually uh, treat the soldier well because at, at this stage the geneva convention came and you have to treat him in a humane manner you should not uh, you should not subjugate him to any mental or physical uh, harassment so uh, this was a quick uh, video bite that was uh, splashed on media all over uh, and a little while later they also 
uh, I think Haneke prevailed and uh, they kind of uh, provided him a cup of coffee, a cup of tea and uh, started asking him, asking him more detailed questions. But uh, by, by now, earlier, uh, Wing Commander was a little rattled, possibly due to the fall and uh, the very fact that he was in enemy territory. But uh, by the second time uh, when he was being recorded, he was far more confident. And in fact, he started uh, controlling the conversation as well, where he flatly denied or flatly refused to answer um, any, of the, any of the questions which needed a crucial, which needed a crucial or critical uh, answer. So uh, in that way, Wing Commander Abhinandan's uh, uh, response under trying circumstances was uh, kind of uh, appreciated by everyone back home in India. And that was where people realized that uh, crossing enemy lines was not at all uh, easy. By then, uh, there was quite a bit of uh, uh, sympathy pouring in uh, uh, for the wing commander. And there was quite a bit of uh, frustration and, uh, and uh, sadness also, uh, because by then it was already uh, evening and uh, people were wondering uh, I think uh, this should be, uh, people were actually kind of uh, attempting to impress on the government to stop the uh, escalation at the stage, try to de-escalate and ensure that uh, Wing Commander uh, Abhinandan has brought back. But I think we need to really uh, uh, go back all, all the way to uh, 18 years ago, uh, 19 years ago, when we had the Kargil War, and we had a similar situation where uh, Lieutenant Saurabh Kalia and uh, five people from uh, five five more soldiers from the five jat regiment uh, were actually combing uh, uh, the Kargil uh, uh, mountains, and they were uh, and they were caught by the Pakistani uh, soldiers who were uh, who were in the who were in the garb of uh, mujahideen. They they had uh, captured uh, not only Lieutenant Shawrat Kalia but also the five other soldiers. And uh, they took them away to uh, POK. And uh, the, uh, later in the evening, they had announced in uh, Radio Stardu, which is a local radio channel in uh, Pakistan occupied Kashmir, that they had captured uh, these uh, uh, five plus one uh, Indian armed uh, soldiers. And uh, despite uh, heavy opposition from India at that stage, actually, mind you, this was the beginning of the Kargil conflict at then, because that was. Uh, how even the Indians uh, got a confirmation that uh, the Pakistanis had actually uh, crossed over the line of control and had captured the vital mountain tops uh, in the Kargil uh, sector. And uh, once the Indians uh, heard about it in the uh, radio announcement, uh, Indians did uh, uh, oppose it vehemently. They also uh, sent out demarcations um, um, uh, to the uh, Pakistani establishment. But uh, nothing concrete happened out of it. And uh, about about uh, 16 or 17 days later, uh, Pakistan uh, handed handed back uh, the dead body of uh, Saurabh Kalia in a, in a badly mutilated state. There, uh, the body of uh, Saurabh Kalia, once uh, post-mortem was conducted, it was very clear that he was tortured to death. And uh, Pakistan kept denying uh, this accusation. And... Uh, um, no matter what uh, pressure India applied, uh, Pakistan managed to go away scot-free. So uh, for people who think that uh, uh, Pakistan was trying to uh, uh, capture the moral high ground in this particular uh, situation in, in the case of Wing Commander Abhinandan, I think it is pertinent that people do remember about a similar situation that had happened earlier and how uh, Pakistan had uh, not only behaved badly, but also uh, kind of managed to uh, get away with it. Mohan? Yeah, so uh, the next, uh, um, we can, so uh, Abhinandan like was eventually uh, released to uh, Indian authorities. So can you go through the process of how the I mean, uh, conversations happened between the Indian and the Pakistani sides and how it was uh, eventually released within, I would say, little over than 48 hours, a little more than 48 hours. Yes. So, so when, uh, the day before, when uh, Pakistan announced that they had actually violated Indian airspace, and uh, 
they claimed that the Indian jets had uh, in the retaliation crossed over uh, into Pakistani airspace and they had shot down uh, one or two or three Indian jets. Uh, and India clarified that they had uh, lost only one fighter jet and that one uh, pilot was missing in action. Now, uh, at that point itself, India clearly uh, went on a diplomatic offensive. Uh, they, they summoned the Deputy High Commissioner of Pakistan in uh, New Delhi. Remember the High Commissioner back in Islamabad uh, at this particular moment. So the highest authority in the High Commissioner's office was actually the Deputy High Commissioner. So he was summoned and India told in no uncertain terms that uh, Geneva Con Convention applies in the case of Wing Commander Abhinandan, and that he has to be uh, uh, released at the earliest. And in fact, uh, apparently, it has now come to light that India made several uh, India gave several options to Pakistan, telling that we will send an IAF uh, IAF plane, Indian Air Force plane, and uh, we can uh, once you release him, we can bring him back. But apparently, uh, uh, Pakistan began. Uh, saying that uh, we will consider the option of releasing Wing Commander Abhinandan. But a little later, they started telling that uh, we, will, uh, we will release Wing Commander only if India de-escalates at least uh, for a minimum period of 48 hours. Now, by this time, India had enough of this uh, uh, dilly-dallying from Islamabad, and India, India sent out strong uh, uh, opposition to all this telling that the release of Wing Commander Abhinandan was not negotiable in any which manner. And um, uh, by that time, even uh, internationally as well, uh, Pakistan had no other option but to release uh, Wing Commander Abhinandan simply because uh, the US or China or the European Union uh, did not make any overtures to support uh, Pakistan's uh, uh, holding of uh, the soldiers. So it was quite clear that uh, Pakistan had to release him. The only major question was uh, uh, when would they do it? Now, while while we were doing all this, uh, uh, India also went on a military offensive as well. When I mean mil military offensive, uh, what happened was that uh, India announced that uh, on I think it was on the 28th uh, or 27th, sorry, 27th or the 28th. I don't remember the date, but uh, the 28. Thank you. So uh, on that day, evening, 5 p.m., uh, there would be a press conference by all the three uh, service teams and that um, India would announce its further course of action. Yeah, so the Pakistani uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan was left with no option but to consider releasing the wing commander at the earliest. Uh, apparently, uh, he had made a statement in the Pakistani parliament uh, about the escalating situation between India and Pakistan. Uh, he did not mention about the wing commander whom uh, Pakistan had captured. He ended his speech, he went out of the hall, and uh, as a matter of fact, he came back within a few minutes and uh, made a statement uh, saying that, oh, I forgot to add that we are going to release wing commander uh, tomorrow. So it was quite clear that uh, Pakistan, uh, the uh, prime minister was taking instructions from elsewhere and that he was not the highest uh, uh, decision-making uh, authority out there at that particular situation. So uh, it was quite clear that uh, Wing Commander would be released the next day. So uh, India had to kind of uh, uh, calibrate its uh, response uh, from that point onwards. Uh, um, that is why uh, uh, the service chiefs just uh, mentioned that uh, India would continue to be in a state of readiness but also went uh, hammer and tongs about how uh, Pakistan had uh, used F-16 in all this uh, attack and counter-attack uh, situation. Uh, Mohal, we, uh, we now want to talk about the airspace closure. Yeah, so uh, uh, basically, like as you might have already heard, that uh, Pakistani airspace has been closed for the past few days. And Kishore, as we speak, I believe it's still closed. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, also, like I think you did some uh, open source intelligence work on tracking flights out of Pakistan. The reason mm -hmm. I say this is especially is because there was a rumor floating around that once the airspace was closed, there was a couple few flights from Pakistan to Saudi Arabia. 
and the rumor on social media was that they were carrying nuclear weapons from uh, pakistan to saudi arabia which uh, seemed a bit outlandish to me so could you comment on this airspace closure and this particular rumor both of them yeah yeah sure so the airspace closure came up uh, simply because there was violation of uh, airspace on both the sides of the line of control uh, the northern part of india up uh, up above uh, new delhi uh, uh, india closed its uh, airspace for any kind of traffic not just uh, domestic uh, civilian but also international civilian traffic uh, and the same uh, happened in pakistan as well but the only difference being that uh, pakistan closed its entire airspace not just in the border areas bordering uh, india now having said that uh, pakistan continued with its uh, combat uh, area uh, combat aerial patrolling where uh, it would use its uh, fighter jets uh, to uh, patrol the uh, uh, border space and also uh, not only during the day but also during the night now when this happened uh, obviously uh, pakistan was left embarrassed simply because it could not defend its airspace when india struck on uh, balakot so this was a way for uh, the pakistani establishment to instill confidence in the pakistani uh, people to uh, to show that uh, they were guarding the airspace uh, quite uh, aggressively but uh, during all the in all the uh, melee uh, pakistan resorted to blackouts in all the major cities and uh, people were clearly uh, instructed not to use uh, either uh, generators or uh, or uh, ups so uh, pakistan uh, we had quite a bit of uh, media clippings showing the kind of absolute blackouts uh, that the pakistanis were facing but uh, in those dark videos you could hear the uh, fighter jets uh, uh, roaming around uh, uh, over the uh, major cities in pakistan now having said that uh, uh, the, the pakistani airspace was relaxed only for a small duration uh, and uh, this happened uh, i think on uh, thursday and uh, what happened was that uh, three or four flights took off from pakistan and headed towards saudi arabia and one of them headed to uh, the united arab emirates and uh, there was quite a bit of rumor telling that pakistan is actually uh, transferring its nukes uh, out of the country which was actually quite uh, uh, funny and stupid at the same time simply because one sovereign power would never give away its nuclear powers to another sovereign power uh, no matter how close they are or no matter uh, what kind of bond homey they share um, so uh, i got a chance to uh, kind of do a little more research on this and eventually we found out that these were normal passenger jets of not only pakistan international airlines uh, uh, and uh, also of uh, Saudi uh, Arabian Airlines and uh, the uh, Air Arabian uh, flight so they were actually repositioning themselves back there a few of them were going back to uh, uh, emirates and, and a few of them were going back to saudi and uh, pakistani flight similarly came back to uh, pakistan uh, they were actually stuck in uh, stuck in saudi and uh, uae so they came back so effectively what you had was exchange of uh, of uh, civilian aircraft and uh, in in uh, aviation language we call them uh, repositioning so there was uh, there was fuss about uh, nothing actually more yeah i mean the reason i say outlandish is because see i mean your nuclear weapons especially in terms of pakistan uh, versus a much larger india is deterrence now you could be i mean in theory uh, sharing a nuclear technology or your bombs with a friend in peace times but in times when war is allegedly supposed to break out why would you give up your assets that would give you your strategic uh, deterrence against india so it completely made no sense to uh, send away nuclear weapons when you could be at the precipice of war even though i mean you and me both agree that we are not at the precipice of war so yeah i mean it just like lack of uh, critical thinking by many folks and yeah and also simply because many of the terror groups uh, in pakistan would actually love the situation where they would actually lay hands on the nuclear uh, nuclear bombs or nuclear material 
so it would it was actually quite foolish that way also to consider that they have been transferred out of uh, pakistan yeah i mean on the nuclear part i mean still like i mean many of these warheads are demated which means the triggers and the actual fissile material and the bombs and everything would be kept in separate locations i mean now with the tension rising they could be uh, could have been brought in closer but uh, i mean it's just like uh, bizarre this story you know anyways uh, so moving on on the uh, diplomatic side uh, the unsc resolution and the oic meet were two uh important steps which happened this week so kishor could you enlighten us on these two topics yeah so much before the uh, indian indian military response india went on a diplomatic offensive and uh, it kind of uh, uh, convinced uh, france to actually take up uh, cudgels in this matter and uh, france and close partnership with uh, uk and the us uh started convincing all the security council members both permanent and non permanent members to uh, retable the proposal to actually uh, tag uh, both uh, molana masood as a global terrorist and this uh, organization the jaish e mohammed as a global terror group so india w- was uh, uh, hoping for some kind of a traction there and uh, france came to uh, india's help in that matter and uh, looks like uh, france has actually also uh, taking up the initiative to actually convince uh, china in this regard and uh, possibly uh, mohal we were actually talking about this uh, a few days ago and i think it would be pertinent for china to actually uh, take a step back may not be a step back but at least uh, kind of Uh, have a tactical pause to say that okay in this regard this one time we will not uh, oppose the uh, the proposal that france is tabling and it will not be it will not be a uh, embarrassment either for china or for uh, pakistan uh, simply because uh, i think time is running out for the jaish e mohammed group and uh, molana masood ahmed simply because uh, even even china when they had uh, exercised their veto last time it was only on technical grounds and not on any on any, on any materialistic evidence so i think uh, france would uh, want uh, china to do exactly that to kind of uh, abstain or not exercise veto uh, in this regard and i think that would be uh, icing on the cake for uh, the indian establishment now having said that uh, with respect to the security council india also went on an offensive uh, with regards to the oic members the organization of islamic uh, cooperation remember that uh, there was a uh, foreign ministers uh, meeting that was chaired in uh, abu dhabi by the uh, prince of uh, united uh, of uh, abu dhabi uh, sheikh bin zayed and he had invited the indian foreign uh, minister minister of external affairs Uh, Sushma Swaraj of uh, how uh, uh, she could actually uh, give uh, uh, she was the guest of honor at the plenary uh, session and uh, this uh, this uh, riled up Pakistan and uh, Shah Mahmood Qureshi the foreign minister of Pakistan uh, openly threatened that uh, Pakistan would boycott uh, the OSCE plenary meet if uh, UAE did not uh, revoke its invitation to uh sushma swaraj now pakistan actually kind of brought in a lot of pressure on uh, uh, on uh, uae but uh, looks like uh, uae did not budge and uh, pakistan ended up not attending the oic meet and this is actually a rare feat simply because pakistan itself is a founding member of uh, the oic having said that uh, i would want to uh, bring in a small amount of trivia now in 1969 uh, the king hassan of morocco uh, he invited government of india for the 1969 summit in uh, rabat but uh, the then uh, ruler of pakistan general yahya khan the dictator he threatened to walk out and the king hassan had to uh, request the indian delegates not to attend the meeting this was after uh, the indian delegate had actually reached the uh, Uh, destination 
So it was quite a bit of embarrassment for India in 1969 at the OIC uh, plenary meet. And uh, fast forward uh, 50 years, we see uh, tables turning uh, completely, where uh, India uh, ended up hogging all the limelight at the inauguration of the plenary meet, and Pakistan staying out simply because India had been invited. Now, uh, although there was some amount of statement being made on uh, uh, Kashmir situation and how generally OIC continues to have an anti-India uh, stand when it comes to Kashmir, but in the final declaration, there was no mention of uh, of uh, Kashmir. Um, the final declaration had mention of Palestine, had mention of Yemen. Uh, but somehow uh, it did not have any mention of uh, Pakistan of uh, Kashmir, uh, I beg your, beg your pardon. So I think uh, in that regard, it was a diplomatic uh, victory yet again for uh, the Indian establishment. And uh, Pakistan kind of uh, felt uh, angry that uh, its request was not being considered by UAE. So this was with regards to uh, uh, diplomatic offensive from India, Mohal. Yeah, so uh, I think uh, coming back to the 30,000 feet view on this, I mean, there's been a lot of debate on the strike and its efficacy and I mean, how many buildings were damaged or how much, uh, how many lives were, uh, how many terrorists were eliminated. I think a lot of that is still like being analyzed by experts and there's going to be vigorous debate on both sides whether this was uh, an effective airstrike or not. But I think what the bigger picture <coughs> people are missing is that first time since the 1971 war, um, the line of control has been crossed. Now, if you remember during the Kargil war, which was the other war before the uh, 1971 war, like uh, the Vajpayee government has spe uh, uh, specially told the Indian Air Force to not uh, willingly cross the line of control. I mean, there could be some cases where inadvertently you might cross. So this is a, a huge my, uh, change in the mindset, similar to the uh, surgical strikes done in 2016, that there are no more inhibitions to cross the LOC. And mind you, we didn't just cross the LOC. There, there would be also like this bombing took place in proper Pakistan in Khyber Pakhtunwala. So even international boundaries were crossed to take the necessary military action. Now, there have been also some reports that we doubted we crossed the LOC or not. Now, remember, the SPICE uh, guided bomb kit has a range of 60 kilometers as advertised by the the company which manufactures it now as the crow flies the nearest post in india indian uh, <coughs> uh kashmir jammu and kashmir is like 80 kilometers away so you can do the math that basically you would have to have crossed the line of control to uh bomb it you might not have be actually over the site to bomb it you could still be at a little bit of a standoff distance but there was definitely a crossing of the international boundary uh, sorry of the line of control now what this does is this sets a new threshold or template that any kind of uh, terrorist attack will be met by a military response which wasn't the case as seen in 26 11 where the if was ready to uh, carry out airstrikes but the political will was missing so the political will is now has been uh, set so it will be a uh, it will sort of set a template for future governments like whichever be in power like it could be the current government it could be the opposition that ap appropriate proportionate response has to be delivered and such terrorist attacks won't get uh won't go unchecked also one more thing was that uh, uh like pakistan basically got no support from anywhere in the world i mean maybe a, an odd country did support after the balakot airstrike so this also is a sea change because uh, Kishore, I mean, maybe you can elaborate more on this, that after the 99 Kargil war, like US did intervene hard to stop the uh, fighting, which Indian, which the Vajpayee government uh, pushed back at a lot of pressure to end the hostilities and uh, mentioned that once the intruders are uh, thrown out from the heights of Kargil, we will... Uh, uh, stop the hostilities that are ongoing with uh, Pakistan. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So in case of Cargill War, uh, which happened in 1999, just one year prior to that in 1998, uh, both India and uh, uh, Pakistan had uh, conducted nuclear uh, tests. So it was fresh in the memory of uh, uh, the major powers at that time. And the Cargill War was seen as a basket case scenario of how uh, two nuclear powers uh, would uh, end up uh, mitigating or actually uh, controlling the, an escalation and uh, not spiraling out of control into an out-and-out uh, mm-hmm. nuclear uh, mm-hmm. catastrophe. So I think that was fresh in the minds and uh, Bill Clinton, the then US president, uh, had to uh, use his uh, officers to good effect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, uh, to convince both the Indian establishment and the Pakistani establishment to keep things under control. And one of the promises taken from India at that point in time was that India would not cross the uh, LOC under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. 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 But yeah. yeah, things have okay. changed. Yeah, mm-hmm. just one more point. So things have changed. And uh, at this time when uh, the Pulwama terror attack happened, as we mentioned in our previous episode, uh, the US clearly indicated that India had, uh, India was well within its uh, right to uh, self-defense. And uh, that kind of set the, uh, set the precedent for India, that India could, uh, will not be uh, shackled in any which way, and India could, uh, uh, would, could do anything that it found appropriate. Mohan? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this, I think you mentioned it well, that Pakistan has been virtually isolated on the diplomatic stage, uh, mm-hmm. even though, like, I mean, they claim that their sovereignty was violated with the Balakot airstrike. Uh, what we have seen is like usually what we've seen in the past is especially the US presidents like be it Clinton or George Bush after the the parliament attack or like uh, even Obama later on even though I mean the 26-11 did occur during the last days of the Bush administration they've always uh, uh, taken a line that you know like the hostilities should be kept as a minimum so it doesn't spiral out of control now what's changed under Trump is that uh, like Trump has a pretty uh, a policy of like uh, holding Pakistan account Pakistan accountable for their uh, double speak with the U.S. So this has uh, done a paradigm shift in the policy, like where U.S. has taken a hands-off approach and has supported our right to conduct uh, airstrikes in support of the retaliation to the terrorist attacks. And same before the other countries. So I think that might uh, that shows that. Uh, the the desperation of the Pakistanis, which was uh, shown by the probably the sort of uh, weird interviews given by Foreign Minister Qureshi to international <laughs> media, who tried to drum up support for Pakistan and in international state that hey we are under uh, uh, attack by India and uh, we need some leverage from you to tell India to back off. I mean. Those were like pretty hilarious interviews where I think he almost admitted that we are in touch with Masood Azhar. Right. And also indicated that Masood Azhar is very unwell and uh, India uh, India should actually back off uh, from uh, even thinking of doing anything to Masood Azhar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but I mean, <laughs> thinking of unwell, like I mean, 2002, uh, then President uh, Musharraf already also declared that Bin Laden was unwell. So I mean, <laughs> you have to take it with a, I guess, a whole bag of salt to say like he's unwell. I mean, it could be any kind of disinformation being spread out. And then the last thing about the threshold of all-out war. So I think last week I had briefly mentioned, and even on my piece on mind makers on the way forward for India, I mean. The thing I wanted to mention especially is that a lot of people, I mean, it's like a just lack of critical thinking in strategic affairs in India. I mean, we spend, we spend like 10 times or maybe a million times more uh, energy on Bollywood, cricket and uh, in uh, domestic politics. But I think not enough thought has been given to uh, uh, critical thinking or strategic affairs. Now, the problem mm-hmm. I see in India is today, like there are two opposite camps and I mean, they are uh, well within their right. I mean, we are a democratic country to take their views, but that doesn't mean that's the right view. I mean, on one hand, you have the Aman Kiyasha's place, like, you know, where like one of the young activists in there said, like, okay, peace doesn't, uh, sorry, war doesn't solve anything. We need peace, which is also like, I mean, kind of uh, not foolish and not right. And on the other hand, we have the extreme. On the other hand, we say like, you know, 
let's have a full all out war with india and like wipe them off the map which doesn't help you because it would set india it would finish pakistan but also set back india with by decades in terms of economic growth so what people just think in the terms of these two binaries that either you have uh, peace talks and no war or you have all out nuclear war i think there are a lot of options in the middle like what the surgical strikes in 2016 and the balakot air strikes have shown that uh-huh. there could be a option in between where you could give a proportionate response without triggering an all out war now if pakistan was to escalate i mean they would be at the receiving end i mean their finances are practically down to like they are on fumes and uh, cranking up the pressure in terms of these uh, airspace closures and i think i believe you mentioned a couple more measures like it's going to uh, turn the screws on them so the main goal is like to give this proportionate response to uh, sort of change their be- course to change their behavior we are not looking to like just clean out the nation or end its existence we want a peaceful neighbor who doesn't uh, incite terrorism inside our own country the the goal is not to wipe them off the map or blast them back to the stone age as i wrote but to use coercive measures like di- diplomacy and talks and dossiers and what not hasn't worked for like 20 to 30 years the time has come that you use coercive diplomacy be with to change the behavior on the pakistani side also i think as you very well mentioned at the beginning of the podcast it just the other problem in critical thinking is okay you use maybe a proportionate response and then you will change the behavior it doesn't happen that way you have to use all the tools in your toolbox which is like strategic diplomatic and i think you touched brilliantly upon all those various points to change that behavior i mean we revoked the most favored nation status and already i mean with the bizarre rent from the reporter on tomatar ka jawab atom bomb se dege you see that like it's hurting economically so only when you use all the levers of state craft to change the behavior you will you see actual change on the ground it's not going to happen overnight now in this talk of military action i mean one must not forget the big picture that uh, even if there is not much uh, mili- uh, let's say if there's not a military response in the future or maybe there is one that one needs to use all the levers of state craft uh, not just the military one to put pressure on pakistan to change its behavior uh, to on on supporting uh, terrorism uh, kishor yeah so uh, just to add on to what you were mentioning uh, pakistan's behavior in all this has been quite uh, uh, quite uh, all over the place frankly uh, there was one interview that uh, shah mahmood qureshi gave to cnn where uh, christian amanpour interviewed uh, him and he kind of clearly implied that uh, pa- uh, pakistani establishment was in touch with jaish e mohammed and uh, masood ahar and he uh, blurted, blurted out that uh, masood ahar was really unwell uh, one one or two days later he gave another interview to bbc and he said that uh, we know that uh, they are not uh, responsible for the pulwama attack although clearly jaish e mohammed themselves had mentioned that they were responsible for the pulwama attack so pakistan was like all over the place when it comes to this and also when um, uh, the escalation reached uh, its peak uh, pakistan tried to uh, uh, use the moral high ground to claim that uh, pakistan cannot be forced to deescalate first claiming that uh, that would risk a threat of taliban talks uh, falling apart now the western powers uh, were not ready for this kind of nonsense from pakistan so uh, pakistan had to quickly step back from its uh, threat of uh, disrupting the taliban talks and uh, they fell in place and eventually they agreed to release uh, uh, wing commander and that is where we are as of today but coming to uh, the indian position uh, it is it is quite important to note that india did not even make an official statement after wing commander was uh, released whatever you see are uh, under the radar non official kind of statements uh, indian air force said that they were happy to get their pilot back but that was the only only bite that you received although uh, rakshamantri nirmala sitaraman went and visited him in the hospital 
But beyond that, there was nothing much in terms of an official statement. However, it uh, it continues. Uh, I mean, we need to emphasize that India continues to maintain uh, an assertive posture, if not an out and out aggressive posture. And India has made it very clear, and uh, not only to Pakistan but also to uh, international media, that uh, India will continue to exercise uh, self defense and uh, would not mind uh, taking uh, uh, preemptive action uh, if it comes to that to uh, to dismantle any terror. Uh, operations happening on the other side of line of control. So India continues to be on the vigil, uh, both uh, on the borders and beyond, uh, in terms of gathering intelligence. And uh, this would continue irrespective of the fact that India goes to polls within the next uh, uh, five to eight weeks. Uh, mind you, Indian elections are a long drawn out affair. So uh, yeah, in, uh, Indian government uh, has decided that. Uh, this will not be a one-time uh, response from India, and that this would be a, a, a long drawn-out uh, process. Mohan? Yeah, I think uh, I think you brought it out well. That uh, I mean, I don't know why some in the media have been calling this uh, PR victory for Pakistan, which we don't believe it is. I mean, we did do perform a airstrike uh, significantly deep within Pakistani territory, like almost like 80 kilometers or even further than that. While they did a shallow incursion and they were quickly repelled with the our uh, uh, mind you like a really old MiG-21 fighter successfully. I mean, mm -hmm. in the process, we did lose a uh, wing commander to the going over to the territory. So now in, in many uh, battles and the heat of the battle, like there could be uh, issues like this, which could occur. So it wasn't any kind of strategic victory for pa Pakistan as many in the uh, public relations department have been calling it. The one thing I think which need to be done better is uh, the public conference, the press conferences could have been better, well handled and more information needs to be divulged. Uh, but I think we are just pro progressing on side of caution. But I mean, the message has been uh, unambically sent to Pakistan that you are not safe anywhere in Pakistan. You cannot threaten us by staying with, below the the nuclear umbrella thing, thing that there will be no uh, consequences for India. I mean, the what I think as someone mentioned to me, like is we are in a sort of a tactical pause and we are trying mm -hmm. to uh, re review the strategies of what happened in the Pakistan air attack incursion into India. And we will uh, have all the assets, I think, as the three chiefs said in the press conference, all the assets on sea, air and land. And even I would say I would add subsurface from the Navy's uh, statement are ready to take any action uh, to dismantle the terror infrastructure uh, across the border. So we mm -hmm. would be in a, a state where there could be some uh, prolonged uh, pressure. I mean, the whole goal is to uh, see the job through. Now, after Wing Commander Abhinandan uh, got shot down, I mean, as expected, there was a quite a bit of gloom over the Indian faces, and then suddenly the some of these, as I said, the Aman Kiyasha gang became very active, saying like, "Say no to war." But that's the thing, like you know, even I had wrote earlier this week that in uh, Kargil during the oil operations, Safed Sagar, we did uh, had a MiG-21 shot down, a MiG-27 shot down, and a Mi-17 shot down during the first three days of the conflict. Now that didn't deter us from completing the job, uh, the job, seeing the job through. We changed our tactics and we hit them hard. So same thing, like we need to uh, uh, revise our tactics and then see how we see the job through and not leave it just be to some domestic pressure where some people might not have the stomach to uh, see the uh, the process finish. Now, as I mentioned, like Pakistan is in dire financial position. So there's uh -huh. never been a better time in terms of economics, in better times of uh, strategic uh, relevance, where Pakistan is not getting support from anywhere. Plus, uh, our conventional superiority, where we could uh, uh, target them when necessary uh, to change the behavior uh, of the Pakistanis in supporting terrorism. So uh, that's all I had, uh, Kishore. Any closing Perfect. comments from you uh, in regarding what happens next? Yeah, I think uh, one point that we kind of missed on uh, elaborating 
uh, how uh, we had uh, indicated in our previous episode that uh, right about the time that we had the Pulwama attack, uh, there mm-hmm. were two other attacks, one in Afghanistan and one in Iran. And yeah. uh, both those countries continue to be uh, in a state of uh, high vigilant alert. And mm-hmm. uh, they continue to make uh, aggressive uh, statements uh, targeted at Pakistan. So Pakistan mm-hmm. at this moment is surrounded by three adversaries. They're not, uh, none of mm-hmm. them are friendly at this moment. So uh, your point is well taken, uh, Mohal, about how uh, it should not be a one-off uh, step that mm-hmm. India should take. Rather, it should be a long, drawn-out, uh, well-thought and well-calibrated uh, series of uh, steps. And I think, uh, like, so bringing to one other point, since you brought up Afghanistan, I mean, Afghanistan and Iran have been making the right noises that we threaten to take action similar to India, and they welcome the Indian action. So I think on the Afghanistan side, couple of points. One that uh, I don't know if you already mentioned, like Pakistan threatened to derail the the Afghanistan peace talks yeah. between the Taliban and the United think. States. So on that point, I think. Uh, from my Afghani sources, I think they are not wanted to, to take any action till the talks are over, which could be like, I mean, weeks, could be months, because they don't want to disrupt the de- peace process. So once uh, the peace process is over, I mean, I mean, this is all hearsay. So you could possibly see action from the Afghanistan side, which I really doubt, but you never know these days, like, you know, in this uncertain times that once the peace talks are over, could there be action? I mean, then the Iranian thing is open since... Uh, day one where like the attacks haven't happened so i mean the interesting thing is see pakistan has uh borders with like four countries like like which are unfriendly to it the airspace is closed and the only link they have on a land border is in pakistan occupied kashmir over the karakoram highway with china even uh-huh. if china wanted to send supplies it's the karakoram pass is closed in the winter months so basically once um you are blocked by air and you are blocked by uh, land completely. I mean, the only route they have is sea, and which you never know what might happen. So, like, there could be a total shutdown in Pakistan. I think that's why they are preparing for a imminent uh, total uh, shutdown of Pakistan from all the dimensions, air, sea, and land, uh, in the near future in a confrontation with India. And that is why they have these regular blackouts. In yeah, I think they're. I think they don't have much refining capacity in terms of oil and jet fuel, so they're trying to save it for a possible blockade by India in the future. You know. Agree. Agree. Okay, I think it's a good uh, place to wrap up, uh, Mohan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll go ahead and uh, uh, discuss our uh, recommendation. Uh, my recommendation. I'll go first, uh, Mohan, and my recommendation is. Uh, actually, two pieces that you wrote uh, this last week. Uh, I wonder how you made up, uh, may, uh, were able to make up time for both of them. Uh, the first one is actually about uh, lessons from Kargil, India cannot and must not back down now, where uh, you talk about how uh, just uh, one loss of a MiG-21 should not be looked at as a complete uh, failure of uh, the mm-hmm. Indian military yeah. response whenever Pakistan does manage to uh, uh, intrude into Indian airspace and mm-hmm. India has to continue with uh, its uh, kind of uh, uh, aggressive posture. And you also uh, mentioned about Operation Safed Sagar, which uh, happened during the Kargil War as well. So that is mm-hmm. one article. And the other one is about uh, how should India respond to Pakistan? How can it counter the threat to terrorism? This was a kind of uh, um, it, it kind of analyzed the whole situation, not only uh, Pulwama, but also the uh, aerial uh, incursions that happened, and what was the response from India, and how should it take for uh, how should it take forward? Uh, you have also mentioned a bit about uh, the MFN status and uh, all the other uh, wide spectrum responses that India yeah, uh, full spectrum. exactly. So yeah, these are the two articles that I would recommend to our listeners. Mohan? Thanks, Kishore. So, and for uh, this week, for my recommendation, I would be recommend for our uh, Kannada listeners, the video that Kishore did for on oneindia.com about the Balakot airstrike and the Pakistani response on the following day. 
Thank you. And uh, uh, dear listeners, I think that uh, wraps up today's episode. It's been quite a lengthy one, but I uh, we hope that uh, you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed uh, talking about it. Uh, to continue hearing about such uh, interesting topics, do subscribe to our channel India Rising. And uh, if you're if you're listening to us on uh, YouTube, uh, don't forget to tap on the bell icon to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available. But if you are listening to us on any uh, podcast, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show and also leave uh, your uh, review. It helps us uh, to uh, to calibrate our uh, uh, episodes further. In addition, we would also like to hear from you if you have any suggestions on any topics that you would like us to cover. Do remember that uh, these topics should be directly related to Indian foreign policy. Until the next time, bye-bye.